Welcome to this new episode of Carolyn Talks, the podcast slash YouTube channel where I, your host Carolyn, speak to film creators about their work, the industry, and what inspires them. And today I am joined by director Marilyn Cook to speak about her new short film, No Ghosts in the Morgue, which is, uh, it, you would think it's a horror film, but it's not. It's actually, I think, a really interesting film about finding your own path in the most unexpected places, a morgue, for instance. Um, but before we get into the film, I'll ask Marilyn to say a bit about herself and what got her into filmmaking, because, you know, as you know, I like to ask filmmakers, like, what their path was, because no path, no, no journey to become a filmmaker is ever the same. I've never spoken to anyone who had the exact same journey as anyone else. So Marilyn, thank you so much for joining me today and for being a guest on my podcast and my channel. Um, so can you say a bit about yourself? For sure. Well, thank you for having me, first of all. Um, so my name is Marilyn Cook. I am a writer director. Uh, I'm based in Montreal. I'm born also in Montreal. I'm from here, uh, Canada. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, No Ghost in the Morgue is my third short film. Um, I actually, when I was like how I got into film, um, I actually wanted to become a, a writer or like mm -hmm. more so a poet when I was <laughs> when I was younger. I don't know why I was really attracted to the kind of uh, you know deep and troubled like life of us of a poet and I don't know there was something there that really spoke to me I was very melodramatic I suppose <laughs> and yeah and then um when I was a teenager I started working in a I don't I don't think those still exist but like a video rental store <laughs> those still exist I don't know if there's any more in Toronto but no. there's still about some back home in Barbados that's my home there were still okay. video stores but in Canada and Toronto, not sure. <laughs> yeah, I know in Montreal either. I don't think so. So yeah, I I I started working there, and I just I could rent like films for free because I worked there, and so I just started seeing like a lot of films that probably hadn't really been on my radar before, or that I was just curious about, like all these you know foreign films, independent films, and I just started seeing a bunch of stuff that like. I yeah that that really opened my eyes and I really had this aha moment of like oh okay you know film a film can be art too so uh, you know and some of them were like so unusual and it's like okay I can really feel it somebody like it's one person who wrote this and made this you know yeah. whereas before like the films that I watched were probably more like commercial or you know you feel that they're packaged you know in a way to be marketed for you kind of thing so so yeah, and, and it just opened my eyes and I was like, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. I really want to, I really want to be in film, you know, but at the time, um, I think like there weren't many examples of like already like women directors mm -hmm. and like, you know, women of color directors <laughs> even less. So, and in my mind, like, you know, I just started being really interested in film. So I read like, uh, I started reading a lot about film and about like, you know, the, the great directors. And it was always like, you know, Kubrick and stuff like that, where you start reading their stories and it's like, wow, they were really like super like decisive and authoritative. And they always knew like what they wanted and they pushed really hard for what they wanted. And so at the beginning I thought like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not, that's not me. Like, I'm not like that. I'm not that, that's not in my personality. You know, I'm not a very like firm and, you know, authoritative, <laughs> authoritative kind of person. So 
so at first I was like, you know what? I think I'd, I'd like to stay on the writing path. I'd like to, you know, not be a poet, but maybe be a screenwriter. And <laughs> and then like just yeah, just try to write for films. That's that's what I want to do, you know. And so I went to film school. Uh, I started writing some short some short films. And for my first short film that I that I made, um, I actually had a writing mentor who who told me. Um, who really encouraged me to direct actually. And she said like that, you know, she wished that, that she had directed her own films mm -hmm. and she really, really pushed me to do it. And she's like, it, it really stuck with me what, uh, what she said to me. Cause she really, she really said like, it's, you know, the words that you can, you should try because you're like the only person who has this vision for what you want to do. And yeah, the worst that can happen is that it won't work or the, it won't be very good or you won't like it. And then, then what? Like people, that's it, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, at least you'll know. So yeah, but yeah, that's how we got started. And since then, like made three short films and yeah, this last one has gotten some nice traction. So I'm really happy about it. And after, I think also I've found my own directing style. That's like, mm more like collaborative you know I like to I, I think I bring a lot of empathy and a lot of a lot of listening as well so it's like I, I've kind of found, found my own path through that you know mm. which is interesting because like the the story of no ghosts in the mark is it is about that it is about the <laughs> the, the main character Katie finding her own unconventional path to the to where she wanted to be it wasn't where she where she ended up wasn't where she expected but is where she she felt most comfortable and where she felt she was called to be and this is working in a morgue as a um, pathologist and her she started as a surgery intern and she just ended up there because she needed basically the credits I guess you could say and yeah. she <laughs> and she needed to clock in like time for for her course and the film when it started, I was like, "Is this a horror?" <laughs> because like, there's the there's the name "No Ghost in the Morgue," and then like, it has this kind of the way how you film it. It has this kind of like not dark or um, I would say or or even the like, evil tone, but like for many people, a morgue, you yeah. know, or even um, a funeral home, working in any place with a dead body is it's it invokes fear or you know our uneasiness and unsettledness in us and I think that's because culturally and especially if you grew up in North America or like I'm from the Caribbean from Barbados and like when it comes to dealing with um with the dead like for us it's it's very we, we treat it with a lot of reverence but then it's also I think a lot of it has to do with our cultural superstition to coming like from West African stuff where you are you you don't know what's going on you know, like we were accustomed to being around people that are alive, but when it comes to handling dead bodies, it's just like, is this like some kind of superstition, some kind of supernatural entity is just going to start hanging around, you know? And for me, like, I, like, I've been in morgues, I've been in a mortuary, I, I was there when my grandmother died. So I saw her body, like, literally, like, right after she died. And met my I stayed with um her body until like the the mortician scheme for her body to take her to um, be examined and so like I remember I so watching the film made me actually think of that experience of like we're just being in my grandmother's bedroom and seeing this person that I knew to be alive for my whole life and suddenly like 
all that's left is her body. Her soul is gone. And you know, like for the lead character, Katie, she has that experience where she's like, she as a, as a surgical intern was accustomed to dealing with, with um, patients who are like, you know, and this is her first time really interacting with them in a medical setting after they, they've passed on. So for you, I have to ask first, like, what was it about using a, a, <laughs> a, a morgue to be the setting for a story like this? Because like, you would think, okay, like, you could, you could have made it a film about your own experience of becoming a filmmaker, but like, why a morgue of all <laughs> places for someone to have a, their, their own personal journey to self-discovery? <laughs> Well, first of all, I think it's really interesting that you that you spoke about your own experience with with your grandmother, because I think like when we have somebody who is a loved one who passes away like that, I think we do have that kind of that kind of feeling of of eeriness of like, oh, this, you know, like you said, like we we know this person as a living person with their body and their soul. And now it's like just their body, but it's still them in a way, you know. Yeah. So it's like, I, I really, I just want to say, I really connected to what you just said right there. And yeah, so, you know, when I, I also had a personal experience, like in, in that kind of, uh, in the same way of like a loved one who passed away and yeah. And um, I think it just, um, I, I also spoke to the person who, who took care of, of their body and, mm -hmm. And yeah, the, the way that she spoke about, about not just him, but about like uh, the other people, the, the other, you know, bodies that she was taking care of. She, it was done like, and she, she spoke about them, like it's in such a dignified way. Like she would really say like, Mr. Na -na -na <laughs> like, it was like, oh, okay, wow, this is, and it really touched me and it really comforted me. And I really felt like, oh, she, you know, she's really taking care of them as people even though they are no longer there. Like, it's like, yeah. you can really feel like to her, it was very important. And there was a lot of dignity to what she brought to, to what she did, I felt. And so, yeah, so that really, really stuck with me. And it really started to fascinate me about like, what what can, what can kind of get you to to want to work in that capacity with, pe yeah. with, with people, um, with like, yeah, with deceased bodies. And it, to bring like such compassion and care to it I, that that really really it, it it I think that moment really touched me deeply and mm -hmm. I was like I have to do something about I have to I have to create something around that because like it was just so so incredible to me like people who work with the dead like at the morgue and yeah when I started researching I actually found out that um you know a lot of people we would think I, you know, we would have these kind of notions that, oh, somebody who works in those kind of settings would be more like, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, like creepy or, you know, <laughs> you know, like they like dark stuff or they're very, you know, they're into those kind of things. But it's like, no, most, anyway, when I, when I did my research and I spoke to people, there are very normal people. Mm -hmm. They're all like, they all have an incredible sense of humor you know, and yeah, to them, it's just, I think it's just a different way of thinking about, about death, because, you know, I think it is, it is, it is true for people in the medical profession that they do view death as like something failed, like the yeah. treatment failed, uh, their, what they wanted to do failed, the operation failed. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes people that's, it was just, you know, 
they people just die too. <laughs> like, you know, it's it's just a normal part of life. And I think that's what I wanted to portray as well, is that, you know, we're all going to, it's it's we're all going to pass through this life cycle. So, you know, it it is something that we should treat with the same dignity and respect as when people are alive and they're going through an illness or they're going through whatever they're going through. So so yeah, I really wanted to it, I think it was my way of showing death but in a way that's like more you know like you said with a lot of reverence mm -hmm. but also with a lot a, a bit of of humor too and of, of lightness because I don't know that's just my experience too but like when my loved one that I spoke about just passed away there was there were moments where it was very some very funny things happened you know and like I remember like you know, my family and I, we were just sometimes just laughing, like, mm -hmm. so because either just remembering things or memories or just funny things that happen. So, or I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's, I, it's, I really feel it's not like, it was also very sad and yeah. very like, you know, I, I won't, I, I, I don't want to gloss that over. There is a lot of grief and everything, but it's not just about, it's like you, you go through so many emotions, mm -hmm. like, that kind of feel conflicting of like, I feel very sad, but I'm also, I, there's also this very funny thing happening and it's kind of dealing with that whole specter of emotions, you know, or that whole spectrum of emotions. No, I totally get it. Like when my grandmother died, she, she died the day after my brother's wedding. And wow. I think, yeah, <laughs> but she wasn't able to attend the wedding because she was sick for, um, she, she had cancer and she was sick. And so we were prepared for that. But like I remember, my our mom stayed over um, by her house because we were all taking shifts, um, staying with her at the at her house, and um, so it was my mom's time to to stay with her. And I remember my mom called us in the morning because it's me and my twin sister at home. This is back home in Barbados, and she called us and she's like, "I think she's going, right?" And so like I while I'm thinking about my grandmother dying, I. My sister and I still have to think about mundane things, get ready, get back, going to bath, rushing the bath. I was like, I was in the bath and I was like, I better not fall down. I hit myself. I hit my own head in the bath, but rushing. And then my sister, she, we were, I called a taxi, but my, my mom had the car. So my sister had to hop on her bicycle <laughs> and pedal across <laughs> to my grandmother's house. And I was there waiting for the taxi. And then when I got there and I, and then when I, I got there, my sister was with our mom in the front house. And so I, my mom said I got there right, literally right after she took her last breath. So I didn't see the last breath, but I got there right after. So I, my mom was in the, in the, in the front house and she couldn't really do anything. And I was the one who had to call the, um, had to call the, the ambulance and the mortician and get and get, and just like, even in that moment, you still have to start thinking about mundane things. You know, you have to call, you have to call the ambulance, you have to call the police because you have to file, file the death, death warrant and all of these stuff. And you have to start thinking about, okay, what will she be buried in? And people like, and when you watch TV and films, like they don't really show you how quickly these things start to happen. Like it doesn't, you don't have time to process it. It's like instantaneously oh, exactly. you you have to start moving. And that's where you, and like you said, like we were laughing, like we were still joking. Like my friend Shani came over. Um, she, I called my friend Shani and say, Shani, you, I need you to come because my, my mom, my mom can't do anything right now. She's like in, in tears. And my sister um, was with her and my brother was in St. Lucia on his honeymoon. So he couldn't come immediately. Right. So yeah, I'm laughing. I I don't, it's not funny, but it's like, there is no, it, it's funny. 
Because like, I, we, were, we were laughing. So like, my friend yeah. Patrice and her sister Shani, they came and we were like going through stuff and I just started to look at um my grandmother's like, bro- like she had like this vanity with all of her brooches and her perfumes. And we were still kind of like finding humor in some things and because it was like, oh, which paint should I use? And it's like the most mundane thing. Yeah. And like, and like you, I think we, it's a coping mechanism, you know, it's like you, you, yeah, exactly. you it's a coping mechanism and like my grandmother's body is there still in the bed waiting to be taken out like covered with the sheet and everything but we still had to find like find the lightness in the moment and I think your your film you do um you you, you kind of br- you brought that up with the um with the with the surgeon the person who carries out the the autopsies and stuff like he's a jovial person and he's like saying like we still have to be you're respectful but you're you're not dour you know you're not like and I think it's like for him as well and like what you show in the film is like this is how these people are able to do these jobs yeah you know because like this is a way to protect their own mental health it's a way to help them go through this daily you know this is something they have to do and and it's a side of humanity that we don't really talk about like because for a lot of people we are afraid to talk about death and we're afraid to talk about the human body after death you know and like, I've had some like extremely weird experiences too. Because I used to vol- I used to volunteer in an e- in an ER here, and I've been in the ER when people have coded, you know. And it's this very eerie sense. It's this very eerie feeling that settles over everything. Like all every this everything stops. Like you hear the person, you the doctor would come in and do the code and do the code call, and like everything stops, you know. But then it has to keep going because the nurses still have patients to tend to we still have people to process coming through the um er coming through triage the paramedics they have to move on to another case like there's no time to really process everything and 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 that's a part of life that we as human beings we we we're i think that's what makes us so amazing as human beings like we are able to uh, compartmentalize and process so many things at once and in this film like for Katie, she's learning how to process and she's at first, she doesn't know what's going on. Like she, she gets upset, she gets sick, you know, and it's the smell because like the decaying body smell and there's a scene and I think it's a very small scene, but I think it's like one of the most important scenes in the film where like it's the, I think it, it looked like the liver um, is, is being taken out and she has to wait. And is that moment is kind of poetic because you're thinking after someone has passed on, how much is their life worth with regards to weight? Like this is all this person's body has come down to. Like their liver weighs this amount of ounces. Their heart weighs this amount of ounces, you know? And it's just a way to show like, they're still, they're, they're, we, 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 our souls may be gone, but our body still has weight and still has mass to it, you know? I'm really thrilled that you saw so much in the film, to be honest, because <laughs> that's that's something that I really try to do is like, even if it's like a short 16 minute film I really try to like have a lot of layers in there and to have a lot of and I I know not everyone like you can't see everything on the first Mm. on the first viewing and it's not like I I don't know it's it's just something that I like to do to like create a very rich kind of world that you feel is kind of exists on its own so I'm really happy that you saw all of that in it and yeah, I, I 100% agree with like everything that, that you said. I think, you know, I think there there used to be a time where, and I, <laughs> it's just, I, I, yeah, I just read a book that ha- like happens in the 1600s. And in the book, it's like every 
every chapter it's like there's some a couple people who die and it's like you know death is so back commonplace then. <laughs> back then it's like oh somebody gave birth and she died and then you know two days later oh the baby died too and then it's like you know and the characters are just so matter-of-factly talking about all these people who die so I feel it's like we're so removed from that now because a lot of people die in the hospital where we don't see them or like you know old in old people homes where we don't see it see it in the moment when they actually when they actually pass away and when it's like most people before they used to die at home you know so um yeah and I think also people used to die more often so it's like okay so like people live longer now and they don't die as commonly like from like you know common illnesses or from childbirth as before so I think we're kind of there's some somehow we're like kind of removed from that you know mm-hmm. removed them that from that as a life that death is part of the life experience like for us seeing people around us die and then ultimately us going through that as well and yeah I, I feel that it's like we put it in the hands of professionals now a lot you know and just the fact that you could like be at home with your grandmother like when she passed like, or that she got to you know pass at home in her own or her own house I think is to me that's like the perfect way to go it's like you want to yeah. go in your own house surrounded by the people you love you know that that would be the ultimate goal I guess mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, the fact that now a lot of times it happens like in a hospital setting or like, yeah. And then we, it's like, the, so the, like in the film, I think these are the people who will take care of, 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 of the deceased people. So I think it's like, it's a reality that we're not too, too accustomed to see or that we're not really aware of that much. And I think also like, I actually wrote this film during the pandemic and I think there's some I think we kind of got a sense of it more during the pandemic of like, mm. oh, you know, death is a thing that can happen and that is happening, you know? And yeah, especially like seeing that, um, you know, that the, the medical professionals were really like getting, were, <laughs> were just working so hard and then like having to deal with all these influx of people who died that, you know, that probably was kind of unprecedented for them. So yeah, it, 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 I think it was like, it was, it was part of a moment kind of thing. I feel like maybe outside of a pandemic, I'm not sure if this film would have had as much um, impact. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, if it, I think it's, it's kind of reflects a time, a time of that time as well in that way, you know, of like us collectively as humans <laughs> kind of getting reacquainted with that idea of mm-hmm. like you know seeing death on such a large scale kind of got us back into into that in a way no I agree because um the thing with COVID because it it isolated us but it also made us become I think culturally and socially more connected than we were before because because especially during lockdown everyone was home so the only way we had to communicate with the outside was through social media like I was talking about that I'm on Twitter earlier today social media is what allowed us to reconnect but it was also a way for I think a lot of people to discuss grief in a way that was never discussed culturally before and also to talk about that because like people would mention my cousin passed away my husband passed away my Mm -hmm. wife passed away and, you know, you would see those. And even up until yesterday, I saw someone was talking about their friend who passed away from um, COVID complications. 
And there was, I remember there was, I can't remember the person's name, but there's this person that every day they would post um, deaths of people. They would do like obituaries, you know, like each tweet was like, I'm a mini obituary. And the, the person was doing it as a way to show not only how dangerous COVID is, but how much people it was claiming, but also as a way to acknowledge these people's lives because they're like, for us, like, for unless you know the person, you don't know who has passed on. You know, when you think about it, death is a very personal and also very um, socially isolated experience. Like, you know, you would go to a funeral and the only people you would see at the funeral are those who you know and who the person that passed on knew and your close family members. But outside of that, like people don't know that this person had died yesterday. Mm -hmm. You know, like everyone's life is still going on. And, and that's, and I think like before the pandemic, like death wasn't a communal experience, but now it kind of is. And, and I think it's especially, I think particularly a, a North, something particular to North America, because like in other cultures, um, like death is a community experience, you know, like a person passed on, they would make it a, a, a way for the community. And I, I say it's, North America by me in a general sense because in specific subcultures like in New Orleans like when someone dies like they make the funeral and they have the procession down the street and then there's in other cultural communities like in um I know in Muslim communities when someone passes on they usually bury the person I think within the next two days but it's a community experience you know like everyone comes to the and they take part and it's the same thing believe in Judaism so unless you were in a particular culture it's like death is not a community experience. And before, like when someone died, it would be the family members who would look after the body. You know, it would, it would be the family member who would clean the body, who would dress the body, who would prep it. But now we have like morticians and we have people who specialize in that and they have to make it there. If they truly care, they would make it about being as personal as possible. As you were saying, it's about respecting not only the person who has passed, but respecting their family because the people that, are entrusting you with their family member's body have to entrust that you're going to treat it with reverence and respect you know that it's not going to be misused and in and in the film like that is I I think for me personally for for Katie I think that's what made her decide to pursue that career because she saw the care that was being um exhibited towards the people right she saw the 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 respect that was being done and she was like this is what I I it may be difficult at first, but I myself can relate to this, and I respect that. I respect the respect that's being shown to the dead. Exactly, and I think you know, there's also there's also this sense of which I find kind of interesting. But when I was doing my research, um, I saw that you know there is this this thing in in the medical profession of like saving lives. You know, saving lives is the most important thing. Um, and it's like, it's the more, you know, the closer you are in your specialty and your subfield or whatever to saving a life, like the more, the more, I don't want to say prestige, but it's like mm. the more gratifying it's supposed to be. Or, yeah. you know, if you think about like a surgeon versus a family doctor, it's like one of them has more, one of them is like saving lives more than the other one and is more like prestigious in a way, you know? So I, I, I find that very interesting too, that it's like, oh, but you know, you're still caring for people, but just in another kind of way for one. And, um, and yeah. And I think also, um, 
sorry, I kind of forgot where I was going with my idea. <laughs> Give me okay. a couple. <laughs> where was I going with that whole thing? It's okay. That was me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I felt like I had a really logical thing to say. And then I just totally said, just totally said. No, just like, you can take your time and think about it. <laughs> um, hold on. So the medical profession. And yeah, and I think that... Um, you know, I, I kind of illustrate that in the film too, with you know the grandmother who, who is also like this very strong figure, this very strong and silent figure, and who you kind of feel that she must have been a very like incredible woman, you know, mm -hmm. to to get to Canada like as an immigrant, and you know, to become this very high profile, top of her field surgeon. And, you know, to have her her daughter, so Katie's mother, do the same thing. And then it's like, so I think there is that sense of pressure, too, for the character of, like, you know, I do want to honor this legacy and, like, do as they did. And then, you know, save lives and be this kind of model citizen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's, so it's like, but I think, like, what I read when doing research, too, is that, you know, people, I think, when they see their first dead body, I think it's like, it's an experience that you kind of remember um like you, you can always remember that because there is something very uncanny about seeing somebody even if it's somebody you didn't know I think there's something very jarring for us as humans just to see to see people to see like a deceased body and I think that's the moment for the character where she really where she starts to realize like I'm not sure I'm cut out for this you know mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'm cut out to like this whole saving lives business, it's like too much pressure for me, you it know? Is. And so like, I, I really wanted to, to, to play with that dynamic in the film of like, you know, saving lives versus caring for the deceased. It's mm -hmm. just like two sides of the same coin, basically. And it's like, one is not more or less necessary and important than the other. That's what I'm trying to say with the film. So <laughs> some people may disagree. <laughs> but, no, it's like what it from me because it's uh, like there's a line that one of the that like this the Mario assistant says where she said for doctors they see with someone dying as losing a battle, and um and for a lot of people like for a lot of doctors like they want to save the life but it's not necessarily because they care about the patient personally or that they you know they they want this person to go back to the family it's like this is the challenge you know this is you must live because this is a challenge that must be done and like you talk about the prestige between like a surgeon or a specialist with a family doctor and the thought occurred to me is a family doctor is just as important if not more important than a surgeon because a family doctor's job is to maintain the life you know they're to maintain the health of the person and surgeons and specialists <clears throat> only come in when there's something that the family doctor can't do. You know, they can't specialize. Like I have MS. I have a family doctor, but my family doctor doesn't specialize in MS, you know? And so I, I have to go to my neurologist and I have to see specialists who, who specialize in MS and like, and like I have a neuropsychiatrist that I go to because I have cognitive impairment and that kind of stuff. But my family doctor is still who I go to if I'm not feeling well. My first inclination, unless it's a neurological condition, isn't going to be go to go to my neurologist. It's going to be go to my doctor, my family doctor. So while people may look down at family doctors, I'm like, really and truly, honestly, we really, we really wouldn't be able to get much things done medically without a family doctor. Heck, in Canada, you can't even see specialists unless your family doctor yeah. refers you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
just to be clear, I wasn't trying to say that that like family doctors are not. No, no, no. I understand what you're saying, but that's what that's how a lot of people look at it. A lot of people you know, say, "Oh, you're just a GP," whereas like you're a neurologist or you're a cardiologist. Like there is like a hierarchy, and a lot of people do kind of see it as a, as a difference in status. So like I I I know you were being disrespectful, but that is how a lot of people would kind of look at it. It's kind of like oh, people will look down on people who do who are are morticians. They might not say, "Oh, you're just a mortician." I'm like. No, their job is actually very, very important because they have to look after this person who has passed on and they have to treat them. And that, that's a stressful job, like seeing seeing dead bodies every day, touching them, embalming them, dressing them, you know, grooming the bodies for preparing for burial. And they have to, when you have a family and if there's an open casket, you have to make sure that what the, what the family member sees is the person that they knew. You know, so like that's nothing to look down upon at all, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes they see the most horrific consequences of violent acts, you know, like they like if yeah. you have been I've known people who like if someone has been in an accident, they can't show the body and like it's the morticians and the people at the mortuary who have to look at that they have to confront that yeah. where other people don't. Yeah, and I think like especially pathologists because like the people that have autopsies are people who've had either like mysterious cause of death that they don't know what the cause of death is or violent deaths or you know so it's like they're not looking at like the people who passed away peacefully in their sleep you know of like old age they're looking at you know the the kind of the hard stuff so and I I didn't want to show that too much in the film I think because I personally I don't it's just I'm very <laughs> you might not believe it but I'm very sensitive about like seeing gory stuff it's like I can't yeah. I just can't take it <laughs> like, so it's like I, I can't put that in my own film because I won't be able to watch it <laughs> no but I, I actually like that you didn't show that because I, I watch a lot of like um shows and films about like medical shows and films where they show that kind of stuff but I like in this film that you didn't show that because it's not about the gore you know, it's not about glamorizing or putting the gore on display. Like we didn't need to see the cadaver cut open to know that what they're doing is exam- is examining the body. Just the scene where we saw Katie lifting out the organ, that's enough to let us know what is happening. What is yeah. And you it's know, like we don't need to see the you don't need to see the cracked open chest cavity to no. know what and, was going on. So I appreciate that you did that. And it kind of it makes sense for the film is because it's that's not what the film is about. So yeah. I and we talked about Kenya. You mentioned her grandmother. So I want to talk a bit about that dynamic and that relationship because the 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 you you talked about how her grandmother was a, a surgeon and her mother's a surgeon and that's the expectation. So like there is also that sense of the film does touch on like cultural expectations, you know, and familial expectations because like she has this pressure that she thinks she has to measure up to, and she has she thinks she has to maintain the status of her family to to be ex accepted within society and within community because they're still black women it's a family of black professional women and like she and while the film doesn't talk about racism or gender um discrimination anything like that we as black women would know that that's something that she faces so that's a pressure that's on her so can you talk a bit about that part of the film and how while you don't make it explicit in the film like for anyone who's paying enough attention that it comes through in especially in the dialogue and katie's reactions to the phone calls that she gets yeah, well, I really love, I, and I think a lot of families have this kind of matriarch, you know, of like, um, and especially I think in 
you know, in immigrant families, often the grandmother is like the pillar of the family and she like holds everybody together. Well, I think it can be true in every type, in every culture, in every family. But yeah, and I think especially in like when when you're from an immigrant family that these, you know, that you these people had to work so hard just to get to this country, you know, just getting here was already something was a feat, you know, in itself. And then that they had to work even harder just to get what people would consider to be a normal life, you know? So um, I think there is something very interesting there that, you know, that can kind of generate anxiety too, of like, I want to honor what these people and they say these people like what you're, I want to honor what like my family had to do just in order to get here and to like and for uh, for me to be able to have this life you know but I think it also like you said there is also this pressure of like well you know I want to honor the legacy I want to I want them to be proud of what I'm doing but I also have a need of being to be my own person and to do mm-hmm. my own thing and if like I, if I have a call for doing something else, that's not what <laughs> that's not what my family had in mind. Like how how do I navigate through that? You know, so and how can I find a way that's like I'm respecting myself, but I'm also honoring them in my own way. That's maybe not the way that they would have wanted, but like it's it's kind of finding your own footing in life. You know, so yeah, that's kind of what I wanted to to portray through that that. Um, that dynamic and I also find it I I really I really um I really wanted to have like a grandmother who was was a very extraordinary person in the sense mm-hmm. of like you know because if if she was a great doctor in what was the 70s in Montreal you can you know that this lady she's she seen been through shit, a lot okay <laughs> she's dealt with some shit <laughs> it's like 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 you said it's not explicit but it's like to anybody who can, if you just think about it two seconds, you know what kind of, you can kind of guess what kind of things she had to go through. And in that, to me, that makes her an even more like, um, an even more like, um, it's, she kind of has an aura around her that's like, you can just, even in, in her, in her stare, in her, in her, in her, in the way she gazes at her, it's like, it's so powerful that she, mm-hmm that's it it's it's kind of too much even you know so I it's, I, it's I, a lot of pressure because the yeah. way how you have the shots with the grandmother frame like she's sitting in this garden and she has a posture that's very regal you know she's sitting like a queen on her throne and like the actress that you had to play the grandmother she doesn't have any dialogue we hear her speaking but what the what we're hearing and what we're seeing are two different events happening at different times but like like Katie's remembering her in the garden and she, I'm like, every time I look, every time I see that scene happened, I'm like, she looks like a queen, you know, like she could be a, a queen or a chieftain or like a village, a village, a village leader, or elder. And there's this part sitting there. I'm like, okay, grandma, you have your well-trained parrot <laughs> sitting <laughs> on your throne. But it, it gives a sense of this is a woman who has had to learn how to be commanding in life. You know, she's a woman who has high expectations of yeah. the people in her life. And I love that touch of like, um, I wanted to know, was it, are they, was she from Haiti? Because I, because it's said in Montreal, so like um, Montreal has a very big um, um, Haitian community. So I want, so like, so you said she's from, from Haiti, right? Yeah. yeah, they're Haitian. Yeah. Yeah. So I, so like when you, so like I being from the Caribbean, I'm just, I love that we got to see 
a representative of someone from the Caribbean culture and community uh, Caribbean community in that kind of setting like she's like she's like not working like the like the scene isn't her at home working or just like thing it's just like she's I'm in my space this is my space and yeah. in the and in the over the voiceover that you hear her talking to um to Katie and then you hear Katie's mother talking you like you know this is a, a family of women who have who know who they are you know who know what they've been through and who know what they're capable of so can you talk a bit about the casting because the casting for this is very important like for the yeah. grandmother she's as I said has a very regal posture and bearing and for um for Katie like the actress who plays her she's very expressive in her eyes you know she she's fantastic with how she uses her eyes to communicate what she's feeling and what she's um what she's what she's experiencing like there's the fear and the uncertainty and even like the bit of the grossness like when she gets gross stuck and when she's feeling sick but then there's that moment of resolution where she tells her mom yeah no I'm gonna do this she doesn't say the tell the mom exact especially what she's doing she's like I've made my choice and like that's there's that moment of resolution and I like how you frame that shot because she's standing on the street like where it's like she has her aha moment and she has her like but moment she's like this is the moment I'm gonna stand up and speak for myself and then she walks off into the shadows so I want you to talk a bit about casting them and then talking about that specific scene because I love how you have that scene lit and shot oh thanks um yeah so casting the um the grandmother is played by Mireille Metellus who like she's a very well-known actress in Montreal she's in a lot of theater television film so when I, I actually I like there was no audition <laughs> I was like if she ex if she agrees it's her like there's no other person that I see could like the, there was no other pe person in my mind at that mm -hmm. moment so and she like she she accepted the role straight away so I was very 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 happy about that and yeah she just has this I find she just naturally has that kind of um regal queenly demeanor to her so I think it's like to me it is just a perfect perfect fit and for Shelby um actually writing the film I actually had the th three of the characters I already kind of knew who I wanted so like uh, uh the grandmother Shelby playing Katie and then the doctor mm. Michelle Laperriere, who's also like a well-known actor in in Quebec so I was like oh if they agree I want these three <laughs> and so like yeah so um, like for for Michelle for the doctor there was no auditions either it's like he he agreed so I was like great and then for Shelby um yeah when I was writing it I had actually met her before and I she was really the person I, I envisioned when when I was writing it but I was like you know I still want her to read, like to, to have her read just to make sure. Cause I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I have, I, 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 I just wanted to be sure. I just wanted to be sure. But then like when she walked into the room at the audition and she started reading, I was like, yeah, no, it's her. It's her. Like it's, it's <laughs> she like, like you said, I think she's just so incredibly expressive. And a lot of this film is about what happens beneath the surface for her. It's like, because like you said, she doesn't like there's no explicit dialogue where she actually says, oh, this is how I'm feeling and this is what I'm going to do. You know, it's all very like she keeps a lot of things inside. So I, I like I, I really thought that she was the perfect fit to kind of capture those moments of like you can just read on her face what's going on inside her, you know, so um yeah and then for the shot that the million dollar shot of the <laughs> of the 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 scene uh, it's our only exterior scene by the way all the rest happens indoors yeah um 
And yeah, for me, it was like, okay, it was really, it was very, it was very thought out. Like of, I want, like, I want this to be the only exterior scene because I think this is a moment where something kind of clicks and something kind of happens. And also like the only kind of time that we hear her actually speak to either her mother or her grandmother like she because her grandmother is very much in like non-verbal as well it's a, a lot about like they look at each other and you kind of feel the communication that's happening between them but there's no like actual conversation you know yeah all the, so, all, yeah, the, all, the all the conversation happens in their eyes and their body language yeah, and how exactly. they look at each other yeah exactly so which is what I like to do so you know that's that's me <laughs> but I, but yeah and that that scene I was like I like writing it I was like I really see it as like this I, I don't know it's just the way that I saw it was like um this kind of light in the darkness and you know light at the end of the tunnel kind of thing so that's what a, the kind of metaphor that I was going with so I, I really I really like that you saw my metaphor I love that <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I don't know maybe I, I overthink things a lot so I tend to like have these things that are very like you know very thought out so it's like sometimes I'm 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 not expecting people to see it but it's all the time but it's like when somebody does it's like oh you you saw it that's cool <laughs> so yeah and um like for me it was it was really about her taking that that it's it was really about that decisive moment where she starts to say like you know what I'm going to be my own person I thought I was going to point a but I'm I'm going to point like j instead <laughs> so it's about being like you know what I'm gonna I think I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do so yeah yeah um, I know we have to wrap it up because we have another meeting. So thank you so much for taking the time for talking to me, Marilyn. I hope we get to meet in person since you're in Canada too. For sure. <laughs> well, I'll be in Toronto in January, just saying. Oh, really? Are you coming? Is, is, I, was, I was trying to figure, is there like a film festival or something? I no, think. no, I'm just, yeah, it's, I'm just coming to, to Toronto. <laughs> no I hope we get to meet up. Yeah, I, sure. For sure. Um, thank you so much for taking the time for talking with me. And this film is very interesting. And I hope a lot more people get to see it because I think it has so much, it says so much about um not only about death, but also about just like choices and like basically like finding our own path. And like the film, one one last thing, the film is titled No Ghost in the Morgue. And while the film does talk about it, it's it's try it's treating the morgue as a realistic place. Like this is no place for superstition, this is no place for you know like believing in ghosts or ghouls or having like creepy ideas about that the very last shot of the film is this record play turning on by itself and I was thinking the ghosts are in the more the ghosts are in her house so <laughs> I'm like ah this is where the ghosts are the ghosts I'm like the ghosts are hanging out in her house playing music all by itself um <laughs> So, but thank you. But I, I just love that last shot of the music coming on in the record because it's it's not creepy, but I think it's just a very poignant way yeah. to end the film. So, but well, thank you me, so much for taking the time to talk. Yeah, to if I can just wrap up with that, like I think to me it was just a way of showing that the grandmother, the grandmother is still there in a way, but there it is in the more, house hanging around, but in a much more like you know caring and benign way, like not not putting as much pressure and like mm -hmm. accepting 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 her path, you know? Yeah. Yeah, as the grandmother, I saw it as the grandmother. She's like, you know, I'm not gonna put pressure on you in your perform in your in your profession or in your life. I'm just here. I'm a I'm a I'm a kind spirit. I'm a supportive exactly. spirit. You know, I'm here to 
just chilling just, just chilling, chilling in the house playing some music <laughs> you know, you know yeah. hanging out in the garden with my parrot you know <laughs> okay thank you so much for Mar- for speaking with me Marilyn it was a pleasure so everyone that was another episode of Carolyn Toss and today I spoke to filmmaker Marilyn Cook about her new short film No Ghosts in the Morgue which is a very interesting um it was I, I, I this is something I always say but I'm so honest about it where I love where a, I, I read the synopsis for a film and I begin it and it turns out to be something completely different than what I was expecting and it's a happy surprise and this film is one of those because I was like is this going to be a creepy film and no it's not it's a very poignant story about self-discovery and following your own path and like me as I've spoken about before like I ended up doing film criticism and journalism at a time in my life where I wasn't expecting to I was in school to be getting my diploma in paralegal studies and I got sick and I was like okay you know I'm gonna do something that I know is gonna really make me happy and that I've always secretly wanted to do and then I have the courage to voice and I and I ended up doing it so this is how I this is where I am my my path led me to talking to Marilyn about her film and so it resonated with me about like in that way personally and um, so thank you so much for Marilyn for speaking to me today for, about her film. And I'll be linking her social, the social media accounts for the film in the blog posts um, on the podcast, as well as on my YouTube channel and in my social media. And as usual, you can find other episodes of Carolyn Talks on ACAST and other podcast streaming platforms. You can find the video version of this on my YouTube channel. I have a new personalized handle. So it'll be youtube.com slash the at symbol. Carolyn underscore Hines. So it'll be slash, um, so before slash at sign C-R-O-L-Y-N underscore H-I-N-D-S. And uh, you'll, you'll find all of my video interviews for Carolyn Toss and for the Afro YouTube channel, as well as um, my coverage for film festivals, the Toronto International Film Festival, South by Southwest Sundance, and um, any interviews that'll be getting for Real Asian will be posted there. And you can find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, Carrie CNH. So that's C-R-I-E-C-N-H-1-2. You can go to my R3 page. That's R3-A-U-T-H-O-R-Y dot com slash Carolyn Hines and find links to all of my published works that's written, interviews, written film analysis, written op-eds, um, you know, written um, <laughs> um, write-ups about film festivals, film reviews, of course, and I and now they've also had it where you can find links to my podcast and the YouTube channel there as well. And everyone, until the next episode of Carolyn Talks, stay safe. <laughs>